0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Great Scott podcast. Today, I'm joined by actor, writer, historian, and author, Mr. Jeffrey Mark. How's it going, Jeff?
1: It is always going well when I get to be on the air with you.
0: <laughs> well, you're you are way way too kind. And um, did I uh, pretty much describe you uh, accurately?
1: Oh, there's probably a couple of you left out. Producer and oh, producer, author, yeah, but, you know, comedian, jazz singer. There's so many hats I wear. How could you possibly keep up with them all?
0: That sounds like uh, the, <laughs> the yeah. That that sounds like the uh, um, vaudeville act where one guy's always switching hats.
1: Yes, yes, that's kind of what my life is like. <laughs>
0: And uh, especially um, right now, I mean, you're you're juggling so much. And uh, again, congratulations on all the success that you're having uh, with, well, the, you. with, with the with uh, the Ella book. Uh, are you on on a break right now?
1: No, I'm on the air with you right now. Well, I um. mean, far, well, as far <laughs> as uh, yeah, <coughs> no, I'm I'm uh, the, the name of the book. Let's tell our friends out here. The name of the book is. Ella, a biography of the legendary Ella Fitzgerald. It's available at Amazon.com as we speak. Um, I'm touring uh, the country. I'm singing, which is a joy for me to be able to sing from Ella's canon to her original arrangements. Uh, I'm not impersonating her or doing an impression of her. I'm bringing her music live and doing book signings and answering questions and generally letting people know that the book is available and helping to bring her music really into the 21st century.
0: So, and um, in, in, uh, ju- just also to mention, you're touring with uh, actually a couple other people, uh, two of my favorite uh, people, Mary Ann from uh, Gilligan's Island and uh, my, or our friend rather, Randy West as well.
1: Well, I've been very lucky in that uh, Some very successful, well-known people have happily uh, agreed to perform with me. Uh, We're not really touring, we're just sort of being on the tour in specific areas, but we've done shows with Loretta Swit from MASH, and with uh, Don Wells from Gilligan's Island, and Randy West, uh, bless his heart, talk about having a friend, Uh, drove two and a half hours to introduce me in Tom Springs he's introduced me uh, in uh, Los Angeles. He'll be doing it again. Uh, Towards the end of this month, I'll be at the Glendale Library in Los Angeles, and uh, he will be there again to introduce me, which is very, very nice of him. He's such a a nice man.
0: Oh, absolutely. For those of
1: you who are on the West Coast, uh, I'll be at the Glendale Library on Thursday the 29th of March at 7 p.m., and Randy will be there indeed, for those of our friends who live out in the desert, I will be at the Palm Desert Library on the 28th. No one there to introduce me. It's just going to be me. But I'll be singing and talking and signing and kissing, whatever anybody wants. I'm <laughs> happy to do it.
0: It sounds like you're. So it sounds like you're. You, you are uh, running for office, doing all, all this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's fun. I'm really having yeah. a good time with Ella. Uh, at the end of April, be more fun, because on the 25th, on Ella's birthday, I'll be in Baltimore at Germano's, for those of our friends who are in the Baltimore, Maryland area, I will be there, I will be on the 26th in Rockland County, New York, doing a show, for those of you who live just north of New York City, and then on the 29th of April, I'm at the Triad Theater in Manhattan. I am so wow. thrilled to be singing in a theater in New York City, and bringing Ella's music, and there'll be other shows, too, between now and then. Those are just the ones off the top of my head. Our friends, I'm sure, don't want to hear a long commercial. They want to hear about Ella. Let's talk about her.
0: Let's talk about her. All right. So uh, what, what was it that, uh, well, first off, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, did you ever get to see or uh, meet Ella uh, when, when she was around?
1: Well, I saw her perform live about 30 times. Uh, So as a a happy audience member, absolutely, to the point where she began recognizing me in the audience. I always got a seat in the front row, and she had limited vision, but I have sparkly hats, and she was able to recognize that and go, hi, darling, and see me. Uh, But towards the end of her career, uh, really, really at the end, uh, I got to meet her and uh, be a small part of her career because... One of the hallmarks of seeing an Ella Fitzgerald concert or a nightclub show is that, you know, if, if, to, to help to explain this to our friends out there, if a Barbara Streisand or a Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin or Peggy Lee go out for 10 weeks on tour, they have 15 or 20 arrangements. They've decided what songs they're going to sing. They've rehearsed them with the bands, and that's their show, and that's the one you're seeing on this tour. Ella never did that. Ella had between four or five hundred arrangements at her fingertips. And every evening was, what does she feel like singing? So if you saw Ella in Baltimore in March of 1976, and let's say she came back in October of 1976, you'd see a totally different show. She never did the same exact show twice. She never wanted her fans to get bored. She had so much respect for her fans. As much as we love her, she loved us more. Maybe that's why we're still talking about her in her 100th year. But towards the end, she changed musicians. She began to tour less. The wonderful, wonderful people who worked with her needed to go elsewhere, they needed to earn a living. And the new people, although they were very, very good, didn't know her canon, they didn't know her songbook. And she began singing the same things over and over. And I said, you know, I can help you do better than this. And I began to make her set lists in order uh, what she should sing and when, which would fit her voice. When, when one is very, very ill, and Ella was very ill the last 10 years she was singing, your voice changes. Your body is not an instrument like a trumpet. As long as you blow a trumpet well, it always sounds good. But our bodies uh, fail us from yeah. day to day sometimes. So I, I chose songs that fit her voice, that fit the range she had, but she could still sound good. And she began singing off of the lists that I made for her. So uh, I had a small contribution to a very, very large career. Wow. And I, t- I, don't, I don't take pride in it, but I take great pleasure in that I was able to help.
0: Wow. And uh, how old were you uh, uh, at the time when, when you when you got to do this um, remarkable feat?
1: Oh, golly, you ask wonderful how old are you questions. This is <laughs> that nice. Um, no, my, my, my age is public record. I couldn't lie about it now if I tried. Perhaps if I'd lied about it early in my career, I could change something. But at this point, it's it's kind of easy to find out. I was in my... Golly, mid to late thirties when this happened, and wow. uh, late thirties. Let's let's late thirties. Yeah, and uh, for better or for worse, I I will be sixty on my next birthday in September.
0: Oh, happy and, birthday! Uh, well, I it's, well, it's, well,
1: I'm <laughs> You're I'm old enough to be your father, so uh, that that's always a nice thing. Uh, it's taken me twenty eight years, more or less to get this book where it is today that's now out on Amazon.com. So this has been a a hard labor of love. Hard because you have to, if you're going to write a book like this, listen to every song she ever recorded, even the ones that were never released. You have to watch every television show she ever did. And that's a large feat because there's, oh, 10 times the stuff outside the United States. Ella was at least as big a star it's not a bigger star in Europe, in Japan, in South America, in the Caribbean, in Australia and New Zealand. And she was here. So all of that had to be watched. Her movies had to be watched. Her radio shows, whichever ones still exist, have to be listened to. Then You have to interview every single musician, every single arranger, every single booking agent, whoever worked with her. And then her co-stars and friends... So uh, it's very, very, very time intensive if you want to do a good, a really good job. And I hope I've done a really good job here. And then on top of all of that, the extra layer is I don't just talk about a career in music. I talk about the woman. And there is so much about the woman that nobody knows, that has never been written about, that I talk about in the book. I talk about it respectfully, lovingly, I don't pull any punches, but I also don't write anything that would be a front page thing on the National Enquirer. I don't make drama out of it, I say, this is how it was, this is how it happened, this is what you need to know, without making her look bad, or in any way, in anything that isn't true. So many times we read biographies by biographers and they have kind of a a preconceived notion before they write the book. Uh, There have been books written, for instance, about Lucille Ball Mm -hmm. that just smear Miss Ball and Mr. Arnaz. Uh, Don't tell the whole truth. Tell half-truths. Tell lies. Because it sells books. If you can say nasty things about these people, people want to read it. That's not my book. That's not my book. I tell you the truth, everything you need to know is there. But I don't tell lies, I don't smear her in any way. But you know what it was like for a girl to lose both of her parents as a teen, be beaten, mentally abused, physically abused, raped and tortured, Mm -hmm. live on the streets at 15, be on your own at 15 and become a legend. How does one do that? How does one survive that? What kind of human being is able to do it? Well, Ella Fitzgerald is that kind of human being. And, to a degree, and perhaps this is why I relate to her so much, so did I. Interestingly enough, at 15, I was on my own. And I had... All those things I just mentioned about Ella happened to me. Mm. And I understand that it's a decision, and it's not a decision you make once. It's a decision you make almost on a daily basis. Am I going to live or am I going to die? Am I going to make the most of what God gave me, or am I going to fold my cards and sit in my recliner and watch other people have a life? Well, no. She and I decided to have our own lives and by uh, my, my what she did with hers and I hope someday people say by my, my what he's
0: done with his so when you are uh, performing uh, do you find that um, people of all age ranges uh, come come to hear uh, you sing and, and learn about Ella? Absolutely
1: it was the same thing when Ella sang when you went to an Ella concert or saw her in a club and I did both you know, there are certain performers, and I, I don't mean to demean anybody I'm mentioning here. I'm a huge admirer of their talents. But if you go to a Barbara Streisand concert, most of the people who were there are baby boomers and gay men. That's her fan base. Uh, if you went to see Frank Sinatra, there was a lot of middle-aged and elderly women who remembered him from when they were young girls. But Ella, is across the board you went to see her perform and the folks in the audience were black and white and latino and asian and they were elderly and middle-aged and young and kids and they were straight and they were gay and they were men and they were women and they were deeply believing christians and they were atheists there's something about her voice her stage persona that seems to appeal to everybody especially when you see her perform live so the people who come to see me now again I've said I don't impersonate her in any way Yeah. but the comments I do get are yeah 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 you're not Ella we get that but (laughs) this is is the closest we're going to come to what it must have felt like to hear her sing these arrangements to see her on a stage to see what she does and my show is not just 90 minutes of music it's 90 minutes of my singing but telling you about her and telling you how she got from here to there and what is what is the backstage story to the songs i'm singing and people seem to really really enjoy it, which of course makes me very very happy and hopefully in my doing all of that they buy a book or
0: two and one one thing um i do want to say um about music these days you look at music versus the time when people like the people that uh, that you just mentioned uh, like ella frank and uh, barbara uh... certainly has changed a lot ever since uh... when, when they were um, first starting out
1: well we have to keep in mind and let's keep this to ella because or we're ella, talking yeah. about ella when ella first came on the scene musically we're talking about a girl I think she was like 17 the first record she made the kind of music she was singing was what we would now call top 40 whatever happens to be top 40 in any given year and that changes from year to year as musical tastes change but when Elle was doing this in the 30s she was pop music she wasn't a jazz singer or a big band singer she was pop music and You have to say this is a God-given talent. She had no musical training. She had no voice lessons. The only training she had was being with the Chick, excuse me, Chick Webb Orchestra. I have trouble saying that. I can't get the name Chick Webb Orchestra out of my mouth. Chick Webb Orchestra. Yeah, my my teeth kind (laughs) of fall over that for some reason. Chick was an African-American band leader not as well-known as Count Macy or Duke Ellington until Ella came along. And all of a sudden, his fame rose and her fame rose. And at the time, reviewers and critics of the time were saying, well, she's wonderful, but she's copying Patty Andrews of the Andrews Sisters, and she's copying Dinah Shore, and she's copying this person. And I had the wonderful opportunity to have dinner with Patty Andrews. And I brought that up and she said, honey, you've got it backwards. She was the high watermark. I was imitating Ella Fitzgerald. And then I had a chance to talk with Maxine Andrews, her sister, and she said, Jeffrey, because Patty was singing like Ella, Laverne and I also had to sing like Ella. So Ella Fitzgerald is now influencing the sound of the Andrews sisters, which is amazing. And, and Patty said to me, Dinah Shore was copying Ella, Doris Day was copying Ella, Helen O'Connell was copying Ella, Peggy Lee was copying Ella. All the female singers who came around from the late 30s, early 40s, it was Ella they wanted to sound like. There was something about her voice that just reached people. And that, that's an amazing thing. So whether we're talking about Ella or Mr. Sinatra or Miss Streisand, when they first come along they are pop music they are the music of the moment what's amazing about ella is that her career went for seven decades so ella went through big band and jazz and the uh, the novelty songs of the 1950s you know the the uh, come out of my house kind of songs and things that Perry Como did, that everybody had to do to stay in tune. And then she, she goes through early rock and roll and, and what was called race music. She, she goes through uh, all, all of the uh, groups that were doing close harmonies. She goes into early rock, and she's still singing. And she's never changing her style. She's never doing anything but Ella Fitzgerald. But she always has one ear cocked to what the kids like, because that's how it got her started, young people. So through the years, Ella, for instance, was the first woman, first person, to do a cover version of a Beatles song. And she covered Can't Buy Me Love and had a top 40 hit with it. She didn't sing it like they did. She sang it like she did. But even Ringo Starr says my favorite Uh version of Can't Buy Me Love is Ella Fitzgerald. And through the years, she recorded John Lennon and Paul McCartney and Randy Newman and Melissa Manchester and Carol Bayer-Sager and Paul Williams. There's a wonderful Paul Williams song that nobody knows called Ordinary Fool that she Uh rescued from obscurity. And I sing it in my show because she loved it so much. Burt Bacharach, I mean, she just kept going I think right around the time that uh, rap and hip-hop music came in, Ella never went there. She just didn't feel the music. She didn't feel it. She didn't feel it in her heart. But she was able to keep recording. I mean, we're talking about a woman. If you want to talk about someone who's prolific and working hard, let's pick a four-year period between 1956 and 1960. So when I was a very little boy and you weren't even on the horizon.
0: No, I wasn't.
1: In in those four years, she recorded enough music in studio and live to fill 27 CDs. Now think about that. Four years, 27 CDs. Today, people take four years to record one song that Mm -hmm. you get on iTunes. While she was touring 42 weeks a year all over the world, Two shows a night six days a week and doing every major television and radio show available all over the world wow. the woman was home like eight or nine weeks a year maybe maybe and while she was home she was making albums and doing television the amount of work she did was incredible she is the most recorded female in history there are more today Ella Fitzgerald CDs these available than anybody else. So this is a lot of what we talk about in the book, an incredible work ethic. I don't Absolutely. know, and I'm not saying this because I wrote a book about Ella, I don't know of any other performer who worked as hard as she did as long as she did. And I say as long as she did because certainly all Broadway performers, people like Ethel Merman and Mary Martin and Helen Hayes, when they were in a show, they were doing eight shows a week, very concentrated, hard work, and they would do it for a year or two, and then they'd take a rest. Ella never took a rest. Lucille Ball, 23 seasons of half-hour sitcoms, but she only did, at the most, 39 weeks a year, towards the end of her career, you know, 22 or 23, and then she took a rest. But there was no rest for Ella. Her son said she'd come home and they'd have wonderful mother and son time together. And family would come around, and good food was eaten, and that was great for about two weeks. He said, the third week, you'd see the itch. You'd see her, like I have to get ready. That was her life, being in front of us and singing for us. That was her life. There was. That uh, was
0: her joy was. There, there is one uh, singer uh, that that comes to mind um, that might maybe have worked as hard as Ella or um, something like that but uh, James Brown J- James Brown uh, came, came to my mind when he said that
1: you know he's called the hardest working man in, in, in show business yes the hardest working wasn't how often he toured he didn't tour any more often than anybody else did but while he was on stage the incredible amount of energy that he put out and Ella admired him Ella admired a lot of singers. And she enjoyed looking at youngsters. To her, James Brown was a youngster, because he's he comes along in the 60s, 30 years after she comes along.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Ella admired Diana Ross, Ella loved, loved Aretha Franklin, she loved Janis Joplin. She enjoyed seeing people who saw, and let's see if you guys can follow this thought, saw that they had God-given talent and then took that talent and did something original with it and saw it through to the point where we saw it. Uh, She knew lots and lots of talented people who never made it. She knew lots and lots of talented people who had a career for a while and then faded away. But when she saw these kinds of people who had such talent, she was a great fan and loved their music. Ella loved to put on the music of others and rock out
0: with them. Yeah. So, uh, was, so let's talk about Ella um, behind the scenes, which I know you, you already have been, but um, was she uh, pretty close uh, in the midst of um, all her business? Was she pretty close to her family um, while she was touring and working and all that?
1: The answer is yes and no. There there, there isn't one answer. The yes is she had an aunt she loved. She had a sister until she passed away. She had a niece. She had an adopted son. There There were extended family cousins and things. When she was at home in Beverly Hills, she saw these people. They came over for dinner. They cooked for her in her kitchen. Ella loved food. She was a foodie. She had a huge collection of cookbooks. Not that she cooked anything herself, but she loved to find interesting recipes to have the people who cooked for her. In fact, her cookbook collection is so large, it's at the Radcliffe Library near, near uh, Harvard. And they have a whole section of Ella Fitzgerald's cookbooks. That's how many she had. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. But it's a lot of fun for two weeks. And then she has to see people again for six months or eight months as of a next small layoff. So on the road, you're traveling. It's hard for me to give you guys a clear picture. You're Ella Fitzgerald, you're flying to Europe. You're taking a limousine to a hotel. Somebody unpacks for you. You go to the theater or the nightclub where you'll be performing. You do a sound check and a rehearsal with your musicians. Because you don't have a show, Whatever songs you're gonna do that night, you have to run through to make sure everybody's on the same page. You go back to the hotel, maybe you have a light bite to eat. You pick up your costumes, you pick up your makeup, you go and you have to look nice along the way to the venue. Then it's makeup and costumes. You do two shows, then after the show, you have some food, maybe you have a little champagne, and you go home and fall in bed. Because tomorrow, Maybe you're at the same venue, or maybe you're getting on an airplane and going to another country. That's a rough
0: life. That's a rigorous schedule.
1: You know, there's no time to write letters. There's no time. Maybe uh, a transatlantic phone call to see how your son is. More often than not, it was her relatives, and I don't mean her son, contacting her, asking for money. Because Ella was floating everybody's boat financially took care of everybody around her because she was making an enormous amount of money and put her money into charity. So all I've just said about how busy she was, and yet she made sure to be financially supportive of Dr. Martin Luther King. She made sure that if she could be there, she marched with him. She never took any credit for that. She never publicized it the way some celebrities did. She didn't use Dr. King to shine a light on herself. Then she took her money and opened a children's center in Watts, uh, a rough neighborhood in Los Angeles and funded it entirely with her own money. Uh, She didn't take any contributions. That's the kind of person she was. Today, there is an Ella Fitzgerald charitable foundation with whom I work. And this foundation, this is Ella's legacy, this is her money doing good for the working poor long after she has gone herself. And people need to know that's where her money went, taking care of other people, even though she had this extreme schedule she kept. And we have to also say, you know, she was sick a long time. Ella first collapsed the first time in 1966. She's performing into the early 90s. And all along there, she's battling diabetes and heart problems and eye problems. And she goes like the Energizer bunny. She just keeps going and going and going. And towards the end of her life, her doctors said to her, Ella, stop. You're going to kill yourself with this. And her answer was, I could die on the toilet. I'd rather die on stage.
0: Wow. That's
1: this is a courageous, courageous woman, and yet offstage, enormously private and shy. Uh, she had very, very few close friends. One of them was Marilyn Monroe, who helped Ella out a lot of the 1950s. You wanna hear some Marilyn stories?
0: Yeah, absolutely, please.
1: Ella was becoming in the 1950s almost reborn she had between 1942 and 1955 several hit songs that were kind of sort of in the either bebop bebop singing scat singing era or they were novelty songs she didn't have big hits with a wonderful ballad or a wonderful song written for her her hits were Novelty Things and Bebop. And her manager, Norman Grants, got her away from Decca. And Decca's a wonderful company, and I've worked with them. And today they honor her and love her. But but he got her away from Decca and started a company called Verve. Wonderful. Today, Verve and Decca are sister companies and I've worked for Verve. And he began doing a series of song books you know, this entire concept of the Great American Songbook comes from Ella doing the Cole Porter Songbook, the Irving Berlin Songbook, the Duke Ellington Songbook. Even with that, Ella set the trend. We talk about the Great American Songbook, meaning the great composers of the 20th century, because of Ella Fitzgerald. But I'm getting off my mark here. So all of this is happening in the mid-50s, But Ella Fitzgerald is having trouble getting booked in the great supper clubs and theaters because she's African-American. And the owners are afraid that white customers aren't gonna come see her. And she was getting real big trouble in Hollywood, in her own hometown. And Marilyn Monroe went to the owner's room combo where Ella wanted to get in and couldn't, and said, look, here's what's gonna happen you have to forgive me for one second. I had to clear my throat. <coughs> Pardon me. I When you do promotion for a book or tour, you talk and sing so much that your throat gets a little raspy. So friends out there, please forgive me. I feel fine. My throat is just happy but a little tired. Mm, anyway, yeah, so Marilyn goes to the owners of the Macombo and said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to book Ella Fitzgerald for 10 nights. Each night, I am going to be there myself at a prominent table up front, and I'm going to bring ten great big movie and singing stars with me, and we're going to spend hundreds of dollars, and your audiences are going to come to see us, no matter how Ella does. And of course, Ella did wonderfully. And every night, she brought ten different people, and they booked her. And Ellen never again had to worry about getting booked anywhere. Marilyn helped her prove herself. Then, then, because Marilyn loved Ella, there were a bunch of actors in the 50s. Marlon Brando, Marilyn Monroe. They're very sensitive actor studio types. All of them were a little neurotic, personally. And all of them turned to Ella's voice to sort of chill out calmed themselves down. So Marilyn loved Ella. It happened to be in Denver while Ella was performing and showed up to help with the publicity. And when publicity time was over, it was time to go do the work. And the club owners in Denver were showing Miss Fitzgerald to a back door entrance because they didn't want an African-American woman walking through the front door of their club. And Marilyn, being Marilyn, said, I don't think so. She, she wrapped Ella's arm in her own, and in front of the press said, Marilyn Monroe and Ella Fitzgerald walk into the front door of this establishment, or Marilyn Monroe and Ella Fitzgerald do not walk in at all. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the front door was opened, and Ella never again had to come in the back door of any Marilyn was not the airhead people thought she was. She had no education, but she was not stupid, and she was not shy, and that breathy voice could get very loud when she wanted it to. And she showed Ella, look, you are a star, and you have the right to demand to be treated properly. Marilyn taught Ella girl power long before that was a concept anywhere. This is before women's lived. This is before women were working everywhere. This is when, you know, Ozzie and Harriet was on television and a woman's place was in an apron in the kitchen. And Ella had to fight that, and fight being African-American, both, you know, two different coasts of thinking that she had to fight against. And Marilyn taught her how. Marilyn helped Ella to empower herself as a human, as a woman as a performer, and Ella began to demand more from the people around her. Better costuming, better wigs, better uh, sound systems. Uh, And Marilyn had a big impact on Ella. Uh, Ella didn't have lots of girlfriends. The only other one that comes to mind that you folks would know about was Dinah Shore. Ella and Dinah were really good buddies. But the rest of the people in Ella's life were her musicians People who worked with her, people who worked for her, and even they did not get to hear too much about her personal life. In the uh, book, we talk about all this
0: stuff. Speaking of Marilyn um, um, Marilyn uh, and um, Ella, there was actually a uh, play put on by Bonnie Greer um, with, uh, well, actually a, a musical drama about uh, Marilyn and Ella. Have you seen what uh, this play?
1: I have
0: not had a chance to see it, no. Okay. I just wanted to get your, your opinion on that, uh, see if um, everything was uh, as accurate as your, uh, what what you're talking about. But um,
1: Since I haven't seen it, I will reserve judgment and wish them well.
0: How's that? <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So we'll, we will move on. So um, let me ask you this. Uh, do you think that um, – we will ever see maybe another Ella Fitzgerald in this lifetime?
1: The answer is a resounding no. Here's why. Uh, there's a wonderful woman named Marilyn Michaels who made a fine living and continues to make a fine living impersonating other female singers. And she's done everybody. I mean, every singer who's come along, she manages to do a fine, wonderful impression. And she's in the book. She's allow me to interview her, and she's, her stories are in the book. And she said, the only person I cannot imitate is Ella Fitzgerald. There is a timbre in her voice, there is something, and then her, her genius way, and I'll try to put this in non-professional terms so our friends out there can understand what I'm talking about. A song is written, it has a certain beat, and it's written in a certain key, and it has certain notes and certain chords. Ella had a genius for knowing how to change the beat, but stay in the structure. How to sing notes that aren't the notes of the melody, but stay within the chords. And even if she went away from them, find a way back to them, that makes perfect sense. And of course, her bebop singing, her scat singing, there is no one who can do that. She's a complete original. There are certain people, Mr. Sinatra, there are people who try to sing like him, but they can't. Ethel Merman on Broadway. There are certain people who try to do what she did, but no one. there's been, never been another Ethel Merman. There cannot be another Ella Fitzgerald. She is so unique in what she did, and her music is so much of her own DNA and what she learned from being with musicians. You know, Ella is like another musician in a band. She's an extra instrument can't copy that so while there will be wonderful jazz singers and there are people I adore who sing wonderful jazz and I enjoy their voices tremendously and there are new ones coming up now and uh, both wonderful and Janice Siegel and Cheryl Bentine from the Manhattan Transfer are two of my favorite jazz singers but they both say we sing some of her music we can't imitate her and don't want to there's only one ella i hope i'm a good jazz singer i hope as i'm going around the country singing people really enjoy what i do with ella's songs but i'm not ella nobody is so all we can hope for is that the next generation of, of singers who come up are inspired by ella will hopefully sing some of the music out of the 2600 songs that she recorded for the years and will learn how to scat sing but it's going to have to be what's natural to them it has to come out of their DNA which means it's going to come out different absolutely so I, I wish them all good luck but there is only one elephant Fitzgerald.
0: I have to agree with you when you uh, say that um, you s- well I will uh, I will keep keep that uh, t- to myself uh, about uh, performers today. Uh, I'll just say uh, good luck to them as well, and uh, get <laughs> with that as well. So, um, so yeah. Um, when when Ella got um, some free time, what what was it she uh, liked to do, um, uh, like, with her uh, free time?
1: As I said a little earlier in our conversation, there was so little free time. She liked, when she could, when she had the time, she liked to be with her family. They came first in her free time. They didn't come first in her life. Her work came first, first, last, and always. If she had some time off, she wanted to see her family. She wanted to see her son. That was most important. She loved watching baseball. Uh, that was a passion of hers. She enjoyed uh, a couple of soap operas if she was around. Uh, a foodie. She loved to eat. She loved to see what people were cooking and making for her. She loved Dodger dogs, Dodger hot dogs. Those of you on the West Coast you know what that means that the hot dogs they serve at Dodger Stadium. Absolutely. But she didn't really have uh, hobbies. Her entire life was wrapped up in that music. And when she wasn't singing, she was spending time with musicians. Ella's house was like an open house. Even when she wasn't there, she had a what was called the bonus room in her mansion. And it was open to singers and musicians, fully stocked with liquor and food. And you could just come to her house and hang out. It didn't matter if she was home or not. It was a home away from home for other people who might be in Los Angeles and performing. So she enjoyed the company of other people uh, and admired other people in the business. She did not have, uh, uh, this is a little off topic, but it, it, it kind of answers your question, too. She had no swelled head. She was not a diva. She did not walk around, look at me, on Ella Fitzgerald. She felt, if you think you're really something, then you're nothing. So, so her ego was kept in check. She was always nervous before a performance. She was always worried, and perhaps this is part of her greatness, always worried that, that you, meaning you guys listening to this conversation today, you weren't going to get your money out of an Ella Fitzgerald show. She was always worried, that she wasn't going to be good enough, which is amazing that someone who was so beloved would worry but she did. Again, perhaps that's why we're still talking about her all these years later. We're now 22 years after her death. And still the book is selling like hotcakes. Thank you, thank you people out there for loving the book so much. And forgive me for the commercial. Let's remind folks, the name of the book is Ella, a biography of a legendary Ella Fitzgerald. My name is Jeffrey Mark available on Amazon.com and, and, there is a deluxe version of the book. We're talking about her music. Uh, I did a show with Patti Austin, a great jazz singer, at the Grammy Museum in April when we were celebrating Ella's 100th birthday. It just turns out that Universal Music was there. This is how I found out that I have mentioned Dutta and Verve, but all four of Ella's main recording labels now all are either living together with or are distributed by one corporate umbrella universal music so I said to them hoping 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 gee wouldn't it be great if we could include some of the music in the book well kids let me tell you the months of negotiations that went on after that sentence but here we are and in about three weeks we're gonna have them two discs in the deluxe edition One is a disc of things she recorded in the studio between 1935 and 1990. My 20 favorites, and it's my 20 favorites because I'm the guy who wrote the books, so I got to choose them, sequenced exactly how Ella would have done it. And then one CD of live things from 1947 to 1983 put it in the order I think Ella would have put them into. And, uh... It's a little bit more money to get them, but it's the only place you can get them. There is no other collection of her entire career like this. And I'm so pleased beyond words that I can bring this to the fans. So there's the regular book you can buy now, the deluxe book you can order now, but it won't be shipped for three or four weeks till the CDs that are being printed as we speak are available. And they're selling like hotcakes. People are just buying the Lux edition they don't care we have to wait we have to wait how can an author not go yes thank you thank you thank you that this book is being received so well and uh, Ella would be very happy Ella would be very happy to know that in 2018 and 2019 and 2020 that people are still buying her music that people can still Put her CDs on or, or, or download from iTunes or however you get your music today. And if you're feeling down, put on an up tempo song and let her energize you. And if you're if you've got the blues, if someone's broken your heart, you could put on one of Ella's ballads. And it there's a wonderful sentence that was said to me in the book that when she sang a torch song, you didn't feel her sadness, you felt your own sadness that her singing helps you get in touch with your own feelings. Or you can buy a DVD or download a concert and actually watch her do a whole performance. She would be thrilled that we're able to enjoy her. Even if she can't be here, her music can be here.
0: Absolutely. And
1: that makes her happy. Kids, I know I'm talking for someone who has passed, but I promise you, I'm telling you the truth. This would make her so happy, you have no idea. And naturally, it makes me happy too.
0: I was going to say, I'm sure that Ella is looking down from above and uh, has the biggest smile on her face. Uh, knowing what, what you're doing uh, by promoting her and uh, seeing her fame and popularity still, uh, after all these years, After like you say, that she passed, is still, still going strong.
1: I think she would be very pleased... Not so much her fame, but that her work is being brought forward, and that her work is still being enjoyed, that all that hard work is still paying off. That would make her very happy. Uh, it also makes her very happy that a portion of the normalization of the book is going to develop a very foundation. So when you buy that, you are in a way giving to charity. And that my show is around the country, a portion is going to the, to the charity as well. So yeah. she's, she's loving that the, her work is going forward, and that her charity work is going forward, that in her name, working for, work are still doing. And, and those two things, bringing pleasure to so many millions of people still, and bringing help to millions of people still, so, Whatever the next life is, and I believe there is one, whatever that is, whatever your conception is, Ella is up there bebopping and smiling and just floating
0: around, being very, very happy that all of Hopefully uh, God is also enjoying her music as much as we are. You
1: know, I, I don't bring up God, in, in, but you brought it up, so I'll be happy to talk about it. Yeah. Ella, for those of you out there, A very hard life, and she had a tremendously hard childhood. We have not that. Uh, her mother died in a car accident when she was in her early teens, and her life after that was just awful. But Ella somehow was taught faith. Ella believed in Jesus Christ. Ella was a Christian, and Ella. quite a bit to get her through the hard times. So she believed that what she had was God-given. She believed that despite brutal treatment, I'm talking brutal, I'm talking emotional, verbal abuse, I'm talking about this girl was literally tortured and raped Before she becomes famous, before she sings her first song, but she believes so much that God will protect her. So for those of you who are of any faith out there, who believe in any kind of God or higher power, know that this was Ella's belief. But she never, ever imposed it upon anybody else. So if you don't believe in anything, or you believe in the universe, or you believe in yourselves, Ella would have respected you too. She did not have this, you must believe what I believe attitude. She believed what she believed, and she respected what you believe. Again, maybe that's why so many different kinds of people loved her. There was no judgment on her part. She led a hard life. She did things that she wasn't always happy with, but had to do to survive. And she understood that we all have to survive. Each and every one of us has a secret that we don't want to share with others. Yeah. Each and every one of us will blow up and all of us are carrying a pain every day as we walk the planet that nobody knows about she got it she understood that because she understood it in herself and therefore she wanted her music to be atomic to whatever was troubling you and it was and it is so as long as you brought up god you're the only person by the way and i've done i don't know how many interviews now about this book whoever asked that (laughs) question Good for you and good for us. That's the answer. Deep faith, no judgment. It sounds like a beer commercial, but um, it's the truth. It's the truth. She judged no one. She took people on faith value. If you were good to her, she was good to you back.
0: I personally think that uh, you probably would not meet anybody else nicer than, than Ella, from what it sounds like
1: was a very nice lady. I'm not saying she didn't have her demons. Everybody does. And her childhood was something that had to be sanitized for public relations work when she first became popular in the 1930s. Therefore, she stuck to it. She stuck to uh, a wrong of date. She stuck to sanitized, homogenized stories about what her childhood was like. She never discussed it with anybody never went into it in public, ever. And the same thing was true for her personal life and her illnesses. Even at the end of her life, uh, when diabetes got so bad that Ella's feed had to be taken because of gangrene, in her own home where there were people who were taking marvelous care of her, it was never discussed. Her illness was not allowed as a topic of discussion that's how close to the vest she kept her personal feelings. A very private, very shy woman who lived her entire life in a is It's a very strange, unusual set of circumstances, which is why I think the book is such a good read. Because there are so many highs and so many lows and so many obstacles and so many successes uh, her life was never boring
0: let's put it that way yeah so um definitely folks i do want to say uh definitely pick up this book it's um vintage hollywood uh coming from someone who um knew her met her worked with her and uh just poured out his heart in in this book and um Jeffrey, thank you thank you for, for writing this book. And um, I know that uh, it it will bless uh, a lot of people out there.
1: I hope so. I hope it touches a lot of souls. Uh, her, her story is an inspiration. It's a story of survival. Uh, we, we haven't even told exactly what happened in her childhood. I don't know how much time we have left to do that. But if you'll trust me when I say... Most ordinary people would have folded up their cards and just uh, gotten out of a hand of life and said, no, I'm folding. I can't I can't play with the cards I've been dealt. Yeah. It takes an extraordinary person to say, these cards are lousy. I'm going to play them anyway, and I'm still going to win the game. And she did. That story is an extraordinary thing to read, and I think if... if it's easy to say, well, if you're African-American, you should read this book. Well, yes, I think if you're African-American, you should read this book. If you're a female walking the planet, you should read this book. Yes, I believe that. If you are Jewish or gay or Muslim or any minority of any kind, you cannot help but be inspired by Ella Fitzgerald's story. And if you are a white Christian male, hey, you bought her records, you put her on television, you went to see her concerts, why don't you read what the history is here? And maybe you can be inspired too. I think there's something in this book for everybody. And I know that sounds well, Georgia. Jeff you wrote the book, you want everybody to read it. But it's, it's not, I'm not just giving a commercial, I'm talking from the heart. I don't see how any human being can read her story and not get inspired. Yes, none of us are typical geniuses the way she was, but most of us have not had to face what she had to face either. Happily, times have changed. They haven't changed enough. And African-Americans and all the other minorities are still having tough times. There no yet, there is not equality yet, but it's better. But whatever you're facing in your life, people have illnesses, people have financial problems, people have marital problems, and we have to live our lives. Ella is a prime example of taking whatever God gave her and making the absolute best out of it and finding her joy. And I think that's a good lesson for anybody. So if you read the book, let it inspire you to take whatever God gave you, do your absolute best with it. And this this is something in my personal life. If you do the footwork, whatever is in front of you that seems like the work to get from here to there. Now, you may not get to there, wherever there was. This may not work exactly the way you planned it, but I have never seen anyone do the hard work and not get somewhere. And sometimes the somewhere is better than you dreamed of. Yeah. Just do the hard work. Leave the results in somebody else's hands. And I think that's one of the best short definitions of faith. There is a higher power. There's something bigger than you out there. Don't take care of the results. Just you become willing to have the results and to do all the hard work it takes to get from here to there. That's how I lived my life. And, folks, I won't pretend that Mike Scott and I are not friends. That's how Mike lives his life. He's doing all the hard work he knows how to to get here to there in his life. Sit back and watch, folks, as Mike Scott explodes, because that's what's going to happen to him because he's doing the footwork. I've never seen it fail. If people do that, follow Ella's example, something wonderful will come. And then you take great joy and go, my God is gracious. You don't say, look at me, I'm talented. Or look at me, I'm great looking. Or look at me, I can build a house with my own two hands. You're born with that. You can't take vows for how you're born. But you can take satisfaction and take a vow for what you do with it. All of us, all of us are born with that. Most of us either don't recognize it or we're afraid of it us who recognize what god is and then have the courage to do something with it something wonderful comes
0: there you go i think i think right there this might be uh something to to end on right here but um i think i couldn't cur- be more pleased i think uh courage is uh the key having just the courage to go after whatever it is that you want to go after if we're talking real here we're that we are so um yeah so uh, (laughs) i've said this to you i've said this to you privately let's leave our friends with this
1: thought courage is not absence of fear courage is having the fear and doing it anyway absolutely i live that way ella lives that way mike lives that way if you guys live that way something wonderful will happen that's let's leave them with that
0: Hard work plus courage will get you somewhere, somewhere better absolutely. than you think. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, Jeff, so much for your, for discussing uh, this with us. Um, thank you uh, for taking us on on, on this trip of uh, Ella's life, and um, good luck with uh, your your next um, event and, and uh, the rest of the tour.
1: Thank you so much, and please have me back again. It's always a pleasure to be on.
0: Thank you so much, Jeffrey. I appreciate also the compliments that, that you gave to me. Hey,
1: kids, we're friends. I had to give them a commercial, too.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you so much, Jeff. God bless you. God bless you.